Beyond a Generation podcast where we have real conversations about how God is working through this generation. My name's Josh Mann and joining me as always is the Young Adults Pastor of St. Paul's Castle Hill, Sammy Haywood. Hey Josh, how are you mate? I'm going really, really well. Just by the way. (laughs) Thanks mate. You're a great guy. Thank you. And today for the very, very first time making his Generation podcast debut is Matthew Sibley. Joshy, how are you? I'm Sammy, good. Benjamin, good to see you guys. Hello, mate. Thanks for joining us today, mate. Pleasure. It's a lovely uh, Monday evening or afternoon, so it's good to be it here. It is, it is. We're coming, coming to you live from Ben's house, which is great. And we can do that these days because the restrictions have been lifted a little bit. So Sibley and I are visiting him for the first time, which it's is lovely. great. Thank you for your hospitality, Ben. And then uh, Sam's just still isolating in his office. Yep, still alone, you know. <laughs> All right, well, this, this episode that we're going through today, it's entitled uh, Intimacy When I'm Experiencing Grief, okay? And so it's an important topic. It's a topic that, you know, a lot of people have questions about. It's a topic that a lot of people grapple with when we're thinking about intimacy, when we're thinking about our faith in general. But it's also a topic that can also, when we go through moments of grief, it can be sort of the turning point in our relationship with God. It can be that that marker where you look back and, and think, you know, that is where God really molded and shaped me. And we're at a moment right now in uh, 2020, sorry, it is 2020, where it? we're going through this weird moment of COVID-19, right? And it's it's sort of like that pivotal moment. It's that pivotal moment where the church is in this sort of up in the air, we're meeting online, but we really want to get back into meeting together in a building. And so we want to just briefly talk about this moment right now and what it actually means for the church. I'll just throw to you, Sammy, what do you, what do you reckon is happening right now? We briefly touched on it last week, but in terms of the church and mm. what what's going to happen when we return? Look, I'm excited to talk about this because I think in the craziness of COVID-19, we haven't had much time to stop and process the significance of this moment um, for the church. I think this is going to be one of those before and after moments where we think about church history in our generation as before coronavirus and after coronavirus because there has never been a time in my lifetime or in the lifetime of our parents in which we could not meet together face-to-face for a significant period of time. The implications of what this is going to have for the life of church and how we do church um, are huge. And I think it needs to be said that we aren't going to go back to normal. We're never going back to where we were before because there are a lot of things that we've realized during this season that we don't want to go back to. And I think that this is actually something that God is using to do a reset on the church or do a restart on the church. And the reason I use that language is because um, you notice that when you've been using your computer for a really long time, the RAM starts to get kind of clogged up with things, programs that you've quit, things that you have in the trash bin, you know, that you're not using anymore. And your computer starts to slow down and something might crash. And what you'll do is you'll reset or restart your computer to clear out the cache, to clear out the RAM. And then when you restart your computer, it runs properly again because you've kind of cleared out all of the unnecessary yeah. things. Now, so, you I, reckon, so you reckon the church is sort of going through this reset? I've heard it before, like it's they're calling it a new normal, right? That we're entering in a new normal. Is, yeah. that, is that, what he, was that sort of what you're saying there? 
Yeah, it's a new normal. So it's that sense of this is a reset. And when we go back to life where we can meet again after the coronavirus, um, mm. it's going to be a new era of the church. Um, yeah. It's going to be something that we've never entered into, never experienced before, and things are going to be different. Now, I think this is good because God is using this to trim the fat off of the church. To be honest, there were things that were present in the global church that weren't helpful that we needed to deal with. But because we were in a season of um, comfortability, we just never got around to dealing with certain things. Yeah. And I think this is a really good time to have the conversation around what do we want to leave behind? What do we want to not take with us into the future? And what do we think God is actually calling us into next? Yeah, yeah, nice. So when we, if you think back to what the church was like prior to, to COVID, when we look, when we think about that and what happened in services, what happened in our community, Sibley, what do you reckon is, you know, what do we reckon do we need to leave behind in that regard? Um, I've, it's been an interesting season because I think we're very blessed in that this has happened at a time where we do have things such mm. as zoom, which we're on right now, <laughs> um, and other platforms that can enable us to still meet as the church in Bible study, um, on Sundays with live streaming of services and still be able to meet together. I've struggled with that in part though, because I think it just breeds a bit of consumerism, mm. um, that. I guess I'm sitting, when I wake up on Sunday morning, 10 a.m., we have our live service at St. Paul's and I sit in front of the couch and, and watch the service and participate in that way, which is an incredible blessing. But if there's no difference, it feels, from me watching church compared to watching something on Netflix or um, playing a game or, or doing whatever it is. And so I am personally, I guess, struggling a little bit with that because I feel like I'm just taking in and because we're not meeting together yeah. as one body, I can't really contribute. And so I think... Um, I'm really pumped when we can get, meet together as a church body in, in a building in one place together to be able to contribute in worshiping yeah. in chatting to people in welcoming others in, um, spurring others on. And, and I think if we all had that attitude, if we all brought that, um, back in, once we come back together, I think the church will go, will go, go crazy. It'll be on fire. There'll, there will be a revival because people will feel welcomed. People will feel supported. People yeah. feel encouraged and we can all as one body make the church happen yeah. and glorify God. Yeah, and you, you talked about this idea of consumerism and when we're watching it on the screen, we literally are consuming church every mm. single week. But do you think that was happening before we stopped meeting together, this consumeristic line of thinking when you come to church? Do you think that was happening prior to COVID? I don't know. Like, it's hard to speak for everyone, but I definitely think that that's an inclination. We live in a consumerist culture and, and it's easy for that to seep into the church. Mm. Um and so I think it's it's very much an individual thing of, okay, what's my mentality? What's my attitude? What's my heart when I come to church? And is it something that is looking to just fill my tank, which is important, but I'm also looking to serve and encourage and um, yeah, glorify God by the way I interact with others. And so yeah. I think that's really important. And I think if we individually have our heart in the right place, then as a united body, we'll be on fire and we'll be able to encourage one another to all continue to run hard after yep. Jesus like that. Yeah. Mm. I think I'll, I'd put my hand up and about, I reckon about five years ago, I was I was sitting in church and I was just consuming. It's easy, as you said, it's sort of our natural inclination. We just want to rock up and sit down and be pleased with 
whatever whatever's on stage and i think about five years ago i transitioned from it was just like a it was a physical change but it, it helped me spiritually as well i used to sit in the middle or at the back and i moved to the front row and that was just yes it was a physical change but it allowed me to open up spiritually as well and it made me to it allowed me to to switch from being consumer consumeristic in the way i thought about church into actually participating Mm. Um, and it wasn't actually that I was literally participating every single ser- sermon, but it's just a it's a it's a heart posture type of thing. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I definitely think the way we come to church in our hearts can be very much be expressed in our outward, you know, dealings with other people. Are yeah. we welcoming people? Are we giving our all in worship? Are we, you know, soaking up the word when it's preached? Um, yeah. I think yeah. I'm excited to see what God's done in our hearts and how when we come back together in one body. What that looks like. Yeah, nice. And so. Before we come to together again with one body and, and hopefully we can uh, sort of eradicate the consumerism out of the church, how, how can we, what can we doing now to help us, um, you know, in, in that process of doing what God is calling us to do? What do, you, what do you think God is actually calling us to do in this moment, Sam? Mm. Yeah, look, I think the, the number one thing is pursuing intimacy with, intimacy with God. You know, I think... That is his heart for us. We've got, we've got a podcast about yeah, it. Yeah, we're doing a podcast <laughs> about it because of that reason. I think um, he he wants us to draw near to him so that he'll draw near to us. And I think it's so easy to go through life feeling like you don't really know Jesus, you know, knowing a lot about him, but not really knowing him. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can listen to a thousand sermons a week and sing worship songs all day and never actually connect with the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the, the tension of consumeristic, um, the consumeristic culture that we have around church where, you know, we sit in a seat and we observe people worship Jesus from a platform. And I think a, a lot of people actually do kind of have that experience of a Sunday service where that's what Christianity is for them. You know, they don't um, necessarily have rhythms of intimacy with Jesus during the week. And I think that's what God's actually calling out the church on right now is this dependence on our superhero pastors to go up the mountain for us and be in the presence of God and then bring down the revelation and give it to the people. And that was the tension of Moses. You know, he was constantly saying, don't you realize you can go up yourself? You know, don't you realize you can Mm. go into his presence for yourself and he will speak to you about you. And um, I think that's what we're all feeling right now is this actual hunger where we're going, man, I, I want him for myself. And people are hopefully going to the word and in prayer and reconnecting with the father and... I also understand that it's really easy to not do that right now because of the product that we've created where we think that church is a Sunday service and it's not, it's the people of God. Yeah. Um, and even when we think about church, we think product, we don't think people. Um, and I think that's kind of what God is shaking up because when he does a move, it's going to be through his people, not five or six, you know, celebrity pastors. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it's important to think about, you know, if if church wasn't there, the physical building and all the pastors, how would you grow your relationship with God? Mm-hmm. You know, if the church wasn't there, 
with all the leaders, all the um, people around you? How would you actually grow your relationship with God? And you do that through your individual pursuit of reading the Bible, getting into prayer, maybe listening to um, podcasts or or listening to um, worship music. And that's how you would be intimate with God. And so I think what the church needs to do and what we all need to do, and I've been convicted about this, is to actually pursue intimacy in this time so that when we come together, we're not these consumers, but rather we're participating Mm. in his work in our lives. And that means rocking up to church, asking how someone is, and actually listening to them. Yeah, I know, Sibley, you... You sort of had that shift as well in in your life in terms of the last couple of years. You've really made a massive effort into, um, you know, welcoming new people and and having those conversations. How have you found that um, impact on your spiritual life? Um, I think it's it's something that whenever we serve, there's like almost like a personal cost in some way, and that and that can be you know vary depending on what the extent of service is, but. When you're greeting someone at church, obviously you're not going to your mate straight away and, and you are actually looking outward to say, oh, who's new? How can I greet them? Where are they at? And there can be tricky tricky conversations sometimes. Sometimes they can be a little bit awkward and I think we shy away from that. But I find that when I have those conversations, even if it, it feels awkward at the time or even if um, I don't really know where the conversation is going or um, don't really know much about the person, I feel that God is using me and I yep. think that's such a great feeling and it's such a, a joy to know that God is actually bringing people in through us. You know, we are God's ambassadors and so when someone walks into our doors, we can welcome them, we can make them feel at home and we can lead them towards Jesus. And so yep. I, I've been finding incredible joy to do that and again, I'm pumped to do that because obviously there's people tuning into our live services and our streams we, who don't usually come to church, which is amazing. Like that's one of the blessings of this season that it's opened doors that maybe weren't there before for people who wouldn't step into a church building. Mm. But I'm pumped for when we can meet to get back together and be able to actually welcome and meet those people mm. so that they can get plugged into our church. They're not just tuning in on a live stream, but they can actually be an active member and, and yeah, glorify God through that way. Yeah, exactly. So we really want, generation, we really want to think you to think about what God is actually doing in your life. And he's going to be doing some things slightly different in each of our lives because we all have intimate relationships with the Father and our relationship with God is going to differ from person to person. But we want to really stress the importance of thinking of, of intimacy with God when we return to church, not just rocking up for yourself, but rocking up for the people around you and leading them into intimacy. Because mm. all well and good that you're intimate and that we're intimate by ourselves, but how then can we serve others in being intimate with God mm. in that moment? Yeah, to be honest, I think, Josh, just before, I know we're about to move on, but that's something that God is teaching us right now because typically when we come to church, we do consume, but we also have pastors and, and leaders around us who we go to and um, allow them to, to lead us and coach us and pastor us. And right now, we don't have that. We do have the sermon and the worship, but we don't have that kind of pastoral um, presence. And what that means is the people that are, around us, our family and our close friends that we're spending time with, um, we're actually having to minister to each other in a, in a deeper way than we ever have before. And we're probably realizing how spiritually dependent we actually are on our close friends. And I think probably you've had more pastoral conversations with the close people in your life than you have in a really long time, meaning your siblings, your parents, your spouse, whoever you live with, it's likely that there's been a intensified spirituality in your home. 
And that's because we're realizing I, I don't have that pastor speaking into my life right now. Um, and that's what God wants to do in us. He's actually training us to be ministers. He's training us to be pastors because we're a priesthood of believers. Now, the key is when we actually meet back together again, don't relinquish everything that God has taught you in this <laughs> season, you know, in yeah. terms of how to minister to the people around you. Um, actually realize that this is something that God is trying to produce in you. This is fruit that he was trying to grow in you for the next season, the next era of church in which we believe there's going to be a huge harvest. You know, we, we believe there's going to be a great move of God and there are going to be so many people coming to the church that every single one of us are going to need to get off the bench and get onto the field and start just sharing the gospel, start praying for people, even start baptizing people. Because let me tell you, as a minister, as a pastor, I am not going to have time to follow up all of the people that are going to come in. So God is yeah. actually recruiting every single believer right now to be a minister of the gospel and a pastor. Yeah. yeah. To use a sporting term, it's pre-season. It's pre-season before the season starts. Good. Love that. And then when the season starts, it's it, we're ready to go. And then yeah. uh, the pre- the premiership will come around when uh, thousands of people come to Christ, eh? Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Can't wait for the day. Ooh. <laughs> it's nice to... Uh, all be in the same room by Sam. As in, not that it's nice that Sam's not here, but it's nice that some people are here. Be nice and win Sam. Sorry, Sam. Miss you, bro. It's nice to be in the same room except for Sam. <laughs> Sam, incoming soon. Then yeah. it'll be even nicer. Nice. Yeah, it's good. Surely Scamo does the restrictions this week. Yeah. No more. Nah. Well, good to have Sibley here. Hello. Welcome, Drog. Thank you. Sibley, why do you, why do people call you Drogba? <laughs> uh... One of my favourite football players from yeah. Chelsea, the club I sport, is Didier Drogba. Probably my favourite yeah. footballer of all time. So, just stuck from there. And it's a nick- it really has stuck, hasn't it? It yeah. has. It's it has. Yep. Yeah. What's your um, PSN, Matt? <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you on Call of Duty? He doesn't want to I am, me. but I don't think I want you to know because you look at my KDs and they're no good. What's that, <laughs> kill-death ratio? Yeah. But it is Drogba on that game. So, if you come across me. No, it's not. I got a, I got, I got a PSN this week. Josh did. Josh's PSN. Are you ready, everyone? Yeah. Okay. Line underscore length. Nice. Love Just that. Line and length. Yeah. Hit, hit the areas. Do you think he likes cricket? Yes, he does. <laughs> Couldn't think of anything more to summarize. <laughs> Josh. It's very Josh. It's great. Oh my goodness. Well, the score that. currently is one. No, it's three nil or something stupid. Oh yeah, it's three nil. <laughs> Ooh. Well, there was one three uh, draw. You guys had a draw. It's, it's technically two nil. No, we've had four episodes. It's three nil with a draw. Oh, Josh. Oh, Joshy. You Look, okay? I didn't have to bring it up, but I did. Have you slept since we recorded last? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's been studying all whatever they're called. He told me to Proverbs. Proverbs. Well, I got a short one for us today. So nice. It's only four words. Ooh. So hmm. it should be easy enough. Sibley, the rules of the game. Is, is Sibley playing? Yeah, Sibley's playing. Wow. Ooh. Damn so, it. I have to beat two people. <laughs> yeah. So, Sibley, basically, I'll give you a proverb. You have to text me what you think it means. I'll give you the meaning that I have and closest to that wins. Beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Mm. As I said, four words. Oh, my gosh. I've lost it. Oh, goodness. I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. You ready? Oh, my gosh. I've lost it. <laughs> <laughs> One turnip. One hole. <laughs> uh, mm. One turnip, one hole. One turnip, one hole. 
inner E non-intent boy in me. <laughs> One turn. Absolutely going up. <laughs> Does anyone want um, turnip packs? Yes. Sure. Hit me. I'm just Googling them now and see. Turnips produce leafy stem and... 8 to 12 small light green leaves that grow around it. Main stem can reach 12 to 14 inches in height. Turnip produces roundish root with thin taproot on its end. Does anyone know what a taproot is? <laughs> Please enlighten me. Sam is in. Um, well, Hold on. I don't know. I have to Google that as well. Root is covered oh, with a hard white or one. green skin, which usually changes the color into purple on the parts of root exposed to the sun. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Currently only Sam's in Sibley uh, I'm in oh, Sibley's in Josh in last I'm not sure uh, Probably I'm not sure I feel this. I feel this could be my first L Oh you say that all the time But then you win Yeah Okay I'll read yours out And then I'll give you the meaning uh, jo- uh, Let's go Josh first <laughs> <laughs> Is that because I'm not going to win? Uh, no No Ooh. Not necessarily Ooh. Things are made for a specific purpose Nice Turnip's I like for, that, Josh. Turnip is that's made for a good. hole. I think that's better than mine. Yeah, okay. It's definitely better than mine. Uh, Sibley has said, do it once, do it right. Oh, that's Sibs. good too. That's good. Uh, if you only use one idea, you only have to dig one hole. What? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've taken an L. Yeah. yeah. I'm just um, throwing myself okay. on the grenade. Well, the meaning... Okay. The meaning of one turn at one hole means each has his own task and nobody is dispensable, aka each to their own. So I think I take mm. win. I think Josh said things are made for a specific purpose. Mm. Each said own. do it run. Josh is right. one. If you have only one idea, you only have to dig one hole on it. I'm gonna yeah. give it to Josh. Yes. yes. On ya, Joshy. Well, well, I'll take mate. the W. Three one. Needed it. Joshy, congratulations, Silly. I'm lucky. I'm zero percent. Yeah. <laughs> zero from one. Unlucky. Thanks Hang for coming the boots on. There. there. Yeah. All right. Well done, guys. Well, congratulations, Joshy. Monkeys off the back. Well done. Thank All you. Right. Bye. All righty. So, thank you so much for again joining us at this week. We're going to go delving a little bit deeper into intimacy with God when we're experiencing grief. And before we get into the practicalities of how to get through that tough season, I want to talk about well, what is grief? Because we all sort of experience grief in bits and pieces in our life. But I'm going to throw it out to anyone: what is grief? What is um. It? <laughs> it's a big question. I know. I can give a crack, Sammy. Do you want to have a <laughs> get, crack go first for it, Matty? <laughs> All right. Um, I, I did a classic Google definition nice. search. Nice. So I'll share that, but I think it's much more than that. So when you search on Google the word grief, it comes up with intense sorrow, especially caused by someone's death. Um, now, I think that gets us in the right kind of mm. trajectory. Um, but I think grief is one of those things that's really hard to define. And I think that's not a bad thing in a way because it's a very complex thing that I think if we defined it, we'd kind of limit it down to something that potentially would um, sell it short as to what it is and the reality of it in our lives. Mm. Um, I think grief is often associated with loss and is kind of like the outworking or the process that one goes through after loss. Mm. And it's not just someone's death that, you know, that is a common example that that definition had, but I think can be the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, um, any sort of loss where we're really hurt and that it's really tough for us and grief is a, kind of a, a product of that. Mm. Um, 
often people say there's five stages of grief. Um, there's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And we don't need to dive into each of those right now. If, if you're listening, you want to check that out, then just do a search because there's a lot on on the web. But essentially, I think what that recognizes is that grief is a process where there's lots of different, I guess, emotional reactions or feelings that come with that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a lifelong process. Yeah. And it can produce reactions and feelings that maybe don't make sense in the moment or um, – I guess, things that can prop up that you weren't expecting to come up years down the track of whatever event caused the grief. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it is one of these very big concepts and and I would say it's more than just a feeling, it's it's a process. It's something yeah. that if someone has suffered grief, it's something that they carry with them for life and that manifests itself in different ways along their journey. Yeah. And you mentioned the five stages of grief there. I'm just going to pick one because I'm really interested in that. The first one you said is denial. Mm. Well, I, and I think that's you're spot on there. And I think there's a lot of people who go through that feeling. But why Why do you think our natural inclination in our society is to deny grief, to deny what's happening? It's a good question. I think um, part of the reason is because we don't think grief makes sense and it shouldn't happen to us. Mm. Um, our world kind of tells us that, um, not explicitly necessarily, but... Our world is all about what brings you joy. You do whatever brings you joy. You do whatever gives you fulfillment and run after that. And when something hits us like a freight train and causes us immense grief, it doesn't make sense. And we think, well, that can't happen. That can't be true. Why is this happening? And, and denial is kind of an outworking of that because our world, I don't think our world does very well in dealing with grief. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Sam? Yeah. Um, you know that feeling of it doesn't feel real? yet um that you kind of go through when you lose someone or you lose yeah, something yeah. it's that you, you you're weeded out because nothing has changed in your life you don't really feel any different you know the sky hasn't suddenly turned purple you're like oh <laughs> it doesn't feel real and i think that's that sense of denial maybe it's not real maybe it didn't happen and then as it's the reality of the loss starts to sink in it becomes more and more real um, and that's kind of like when people will say, hey, the first Christmas without that person was when uh, the denial kind of broke. And I realized, oh, my goodness, that seat at the table's empty. Um, and it kind of takes time to break through those denial structures because it takes time for the normal parts of life in which you had that person or that job or whatever it is that caused you grief to actually hit you. And it takes time for it to really hit you. Yeah. And so why do you think our culture is afraid of grief then? You know, if, if, mm. if that's the first stage of denial, why are we so afraid of it? Well, we're afraid of um, feeling bad. We seem to have this adverse reaction to feeling sad or feeling um, angry or depressed. Or we, we think that grief and, you know, sorrowful emotions are things we need to avoid and things we need to run away from as a culture. And that's unique yeah. to our culture. I, I guess all you got to do is look on Instagram. Absolutely. You know, no, no one posts when they've had a crap day. No one posts the bad meals that they cook. They always post, <laughs> yeah. post the highlights, right? Yeah, totally. But it's that, you know, it's that feeling of, um, you know, Western funerals. And we, we spoke about this when we were going through this content the other day. Um, we will applaud someone for making it through a eulogy without shedding a tear. And we'll say, man... Josh was so strong. You know, he didn't cry at all. I haven't seen him cry. Um, and I think we we applaud someone that doesn't 
um, mourn and scream and weep and cry as being strong emotionally, where that's actually really not the case at all. Um, our Western culture seems to not do death very well. We try and make sure that we don't see the body. We want to distance ourselves from the reality of the death. We want to, you know, make sure that everything that happens at a funeral is actually a celebration and, and we'll even call them celebration services, which in, in one sense I think is fine because we do want to celebrate somebody's life. Hmm. But sometimes we can go so far down that road that we think, okay, this is a celebration. I'm not allowed to be sad. I'm not allowed to be angry. I'm not allowed to mourn. I'm not allowed to yeah. get up there and weep and say, I don't know what to say. This sucks. This hurts. I don't yeah. have any words and then get off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but the Bible says something completely the opposite, right? You know, you don't have to look very far into into the Bible to see that there are so many people in the Bible who grieve and who mourn mm. and they lament. Like that, that's a that's there's so many lament psalms. It's actually a category of psalm in the Bible is lamenting, yeah, crying out for God. So when we think of the Bible and grief, sibs, mm. what what is what immediately springs to mind? Um, I think. The Bible doesn't shy away from it, firstly, which is yeah. awesome because um, as we discussed, it's a reality of life. Um, and even if you're listening to this now and you may not have experienced grief yourself, I'm sure you know someone who has because loss is just inevitable, sadly, in this broken world. And so there'll be people, if it's not yourself, there'll be people around you who um, are dealing with grief. And I think it's good that our God doesn't shy away from it. And it actually makes sense, as we'll continue to discuss, in in the context of his overall plan for, for us and as people and as in humanity. Mm. Um, there's a lot of verses that stand out to me. You know, you look at the Psalms, David um, brings a lot of difficult situations to God and cries out to him and he's really raw in how he asks God for help. Um, and we see some incredible, I guess, passages where he praises God because in that deep grief, he can experience God's presence and in intimacy with God in a way he hadn't before and maybe mightn't have if he hadn't gone through that process. Um, a passage that really hits home for me is Ecclesiastes 3, which says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And it goes through a whole set sort of times, if I can put it that way, but at verse uh, 4, it says a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And for me, that's, that tells me that grief is actually something that we need to deal with healthily and we need to not shy away from and we need to actually open ourselves up to what is God is going to do in and through us through that difficult season because often it is in those times that he does maybe some of the greatest work that he might do in our hearts. Yeah, mm. yeah. and again, you, have to, you don't have to look much further than Jesus and how he grieves as well, you know, with Lazarus. Yeah. We brought this up the other day when we were speaking about this, that you know, he, the Bible literally says Jesus wept. Mm. Yeah. When Jesus had the power to raise Lazarus to life then and there, he took time to grieve, he took time to mourn, and then he did it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. He could have done it straight away, but he took time to mourn. And that's just a message for us that grief is okay. Mm. Seasons of mourning is okay. And so if you're listening to this right now, all we just want to say that it's okay that you're feeling like that. Don't beat yourself up about it. Don't feel bad. It's actually good to press into this grief and this this season of mourning. But there's also one, one other thing we want to speak about, and that is in these seasons we need to remember that God desires for us to come to him. Mm -hmm. He desires for us to, to 
be intimate with him and reach for his presence and reach for his face. Because the Bible talks about the fact that he sees you, he knows you, he walks with you, even in your grief. But I think practically that's sort of sort of hard to to grapple with. I know, Sibyl, you you've gone through a period of time where this was really, really hard to grapple with, even though you knew this truth, it was actually really tough. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been on a journey with grief myself and still am. Um, so eight years ago when I was at the study 12, my mum passed away and, um, that was after a kind of a year long battle with cancer. And obviously that brought immense grief to my life. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. I was very blessed with that and I'm very blessed with the fact that my mum was a Christian and so I can have conviction and hope as to where she's now with God in, in his eternity in heaven. But um, that didn't, I guess, lessen the reality that it hurt and it was painful mm-hmm. and sometimes it still is. Um, there was particularly a moment for me, um, I guess for me the lowest point was during my mum's battle with cancer and she'd come out of treatment and it looked like the cancer had gone. And then about a month later, it came back with a vengeance. And I remember kind of being on this mountaintop being like, yes, she's defeated it. Life's going to be great again. And then to be brought back crashing down to earth and realize that the situation was actually now much worse was something that I really grappled with. Um, and even though I'd grown up in the faith, I knew a lot of the truths about God. I was forced then to actually deal with, well, how do I reconcile this with my faith and my God and, and how do I have hope during this time? Mm. Um, and through that season, God did a lot of work in my heart and, and I'll elaborate on that, on, on that as we go. But um, one of the, f- the things that I guess held me s- steadfast during that time was God, was yeah. actually being able to go back to his presence. Um, and did, did you come to that realization on your own? You know, how, you know, it's a, it was a tough situation. You said the toughest of your life so far and you were able to ground it in God. But how did you get there? I think, you know, I think we need to really elaborate on, you know, when you're going through these seasons, what, what helped you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think obviously one of the biggest things was God's word, um, being able to go back to God's word. And if I look at, I have a journal that I keep um, from when my mom passed away and for about six months after that, when she passed away, every single day I was reading the word and journaling. And in that journal, there's some really raw prayers. There's some really raw, um, I guess, things that I've written where I say, God, I'm feeling terrible. Um, This sucks. Can you please help me? Can you show me what you're doing? And in that time, um, it is only through that I believe that God kind of enabled me as I lent into him that he gave me the strength and he gave me the perspective Mm -hmm. to understand that Um, he was doing a work in my life and I absolutely went through those five stages of grief I mentioned before. And still today, I I, I would say I carry grief with me and there'll be times when there might might be days or weeks, even months where that grief doesn't really prop up. Um, and I feel somewhat okay, but then there'll be times when I feel really down the dumps and I feel like, well, you know, I'm, I'm still hurting and, and that's okay. That's part of that process. But in those times I'm I'm led to go back to God because he's the one that provides the comfort and the hope. Um, You know, in the Psalms, we see so many passages where it says, you know, he saves those who's crushed in spirit. He binds up the brokenhearted Mm. and he promises to walk with us in the deepest valleys. And I think through those times, that's when I saw God do the greatest work in my heart and help me fix my eyes on him. 
Yeah, nice. So you're saying that pursuing intimacy during times of grief is actually the, one of the only ways that, well, the only way that helped you get through that season. Absolutely. And I think what's so important is for us as believers, when we see someone in our community or even outside it who's going through something really tough, is to support them and to be there for them because God's presence is the most important thing, but I think the presence of people is really important too. Yeah. That we are surrounding them with love, people to have a shoulder cry on, someone to go out and take them out when they feel like just having a laugh, you know, just being there. And um, I guess for me, one of the turning points um, on this point was I was chatting, this was kind of when I was at, feeling my lowest of low, and I was chatting to my old Bible study leader at my family church, and we were just chatting about what our church was doing on Sundays and that sort of thing, and he shared with me that they were going through Acts. And he shared a couple of verses with me that really kind of struck a call with me. And I went back home that night and looked into it. And God spoke powerfully through that. Um, and he wouldn't have known at the time, I doubt he would have known that, you know, he was just sharing what his church is doing. He wouldn't have thought much of, I guess, what he was sharing. But through that, God um, really changed my perspective. And, and what it was, was this. Um, when we look at the book of Acts, Jesus has risen again. And um, at the start of it, he's preaching to the church. Um, and we don't know how many people were there, but some hundreds of people were probably there. And Jesus says to them in Acts 1.8, um, you'll be my disciples throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you can imagine the disciples and all the believers in that moment, not just the 12, would have been pumped. They would have thought, you know, we're going to go out there. We're going to be on the mission. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to change lives. How good is this? But then we fast forward to chapter 7 of Acts. And Stephen, one of the apostles, gets stoned. Um, by a, under the authorization of a guy called Saul, who later becomes Paul. <laughs> um, and we get to Acts 8, and Acts 8, one says, at that time a great persecution broke out, and all except the, the disciples were scattered through Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what God said to me through that was this, that through a persecution, he got his church, he got the group of believers, the hundreds scattered throughout the very areas that he said they would go, the very areas that they would have been pumped to go and preach the gospel to and where they would have been pumped to change lives. But his means of doing that to get them from where they were to where he wanted them to be was through a persecution. And that would have been terrible. And in that moment, as I sat on that passage, God spoke so clearly to me and, he, and I felt him saying to me, through this season, I'm going to get you from where you are to where I want you to be. I'm going to bring you from this place of grief and mourning and pain, and I'm going to create something amazing through you. I'm going to deepen your relationship with me. I'm going to grow your character. I'm going to show you more of what it means to be a faithful follower of me, of, of God. And that changed everything for me. Yeah. Um, and it was a few months later, this was still while my mom was alive, it was a few months later that she passed away. And obviously that was horrible and the grief that flowed from that but because god had spoken to me in that way through his word i guess i had a new perspective on what was going on at my mom's death and how god might still be at work and how he was still good and faithful despite that yeah so it was the the pursuit of god's presence that enabled you to actually go through that process and come out the other side and have that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's what we've got to, and so thanks so much for, for sharing that, Matt, and coming on board and, and articulating that so beautifully, really, um, that the presence of God is pretty much the only thing that can get us through a situation like that. 
And so when we're thinking about the presence of God, Sam, through these through this situation mm. and through these times, how is it is it always the same for everyone? Mm. Or is it or is it gonna be different? I think it depends where you're at and you know how how big of a hit the grief was to you, you know, because grief comes in um you know, as Matt said in the beginning, grief is not a simple thing. It's it's complicated and it's difficult to define and it's messy and it, it holds so many different emotions with it. And, you know, grief mm. can be caused by losing a loved one, but grief can also be caused by losing a job um, or um, losing a limb. You know, you can grieve loss of anything. And I think one of the things that people are even talking about right now is that because of all of the implications of coronavirus, we have an entire generation of people experiencing grief concurrently. And it's difficult to pinpoint why we feel this sense of loss because we think, I don't, I don't know anybody who's got coronavirus, let alone anybody who's passed away from coronavirus. And yet we still have this sense of collective grief because we have this almost national feeling of empathetic grief where we know that everyone is really wrestling and struggling right mm. now and we don't like that because we're empathetic and we care about people. And um, I think it's safe to say that regardless of whether you have had a close family member pass away or you're just a human in 2020, you're probably experiencing some level of grief. And the question is, how do you pursue God when you're feeling grief? Is it the same for everybody? I think... To some degree, yes, it is the same for everybody. Your destination is going to be the same. Your orientation, mm. your posture is going to be the same. It's going to be fix your eyes on Jesus because he is not just um, someone who's going to give you peace. He himself is peace. And I think that's uh, something that we really need to understand as Christians. Jesus never came to offer us freedom. He never came to offer us peace. He actually said, I am freedom. I am yeah. peace. It's not a product that he gives to you. He actually is it himself. Like when you're in the presence of Jesus, because he is himself the Prince of Peace, you'll simply feel peaceful because you're with him. Mm. And it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit, which means that when the Spirit's present, it happens. Um, and so yeah. I think that's what we need to recognize in our head. The destination's always the same, but the process is going to be different. Um, and we need to be patient in the process. I think that's the thing that we need to realize, particularly as young Christians, be patient with yourself in the process. If you're angry, don't be frustrated that you're angry. Allow yourself to be where you're at because it's okay to not be okay right now. Yeah. You don't have to rush through the process of grief. You don't have to feel bad for not feeling anything and being numb at all. Just give yourself a break come into the presence of Jesus, be honest about what you're really feeling and where you're really at. And if you feel nothing, be honest about that. Because I think sometimes yeah. people feel afraid that they feel nothing. They're like, man, I, I think I've, I should be dealing with this worse. And yet I think I'm fine. Take that to him. If you're angry and yeah. you don't have any clue why God allowed this to happen, you know, he can handle it. He can handle your anger he can handle whatever you're going to throw at him. If you're going to swear, swear at Jesus. I mean, honestly, he can take it. He wants you to be real more than he wants you to be fake. Um, 
And then he's going to take you on the journey. He's going to take you on the process. As Matt said, it's going to yeah. be different for everybody because I think we're grieving different things or in different parts yeah. of the process, but the destination is still the same and it's Jesus. Yeah. And we've, we've spoken a little bit about this idea of purpose and that you said, you know, it took you a bit of time to, to work out this purpose, but do you think in your life, you know, you actually, there was a purpose to that grief? Um, that's a great question. And I think firstly, purpose is something that I think can only be seen in hindsight in a way, um, in the midst of, you know, that year when mum had just passed and everything was a bit crazy and really horrible. Um, it was obviously very difficult to work out, okay, how is God using this? But now eight years on, I can look back and see how he used it to grow my faith, um, grow my character, grow my dependence on God. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years down the track, I will then be able to look back again and see that God was has done even more things or different things that I can't see now through that season. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's something that God reveals to us. Um, 1 Peter 1 says that um, Peter writes to the church and he says that trials have come so the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than God, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And when I read that, I'm so encouraged by the fact that when these trials come that our world would see and, and think is hopeless and meaningless, God uses them to make us more like Jesus and he uses it to glorify him. Um, and in a weird way, um, as I said, my, my faith absolutely has deepened in, in so many levels because of what I've been through and how that's led me into deep intimacy with God. And in a weird way, um, I obviously wouldn't want to relive that. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone and I would do anything to have my mum back. But sometimes I find myself reflecting on that intimacy I had in those seasons mm. and I want that mm -hmm. because the not, there is nothing like God's presence. There is nothing like experiencing him in deep intimacy. And, and sadly, often that comes through pain and through trials where we need to look back and, and I guess reorient ourselves to God. But those seasons when I've seen the greatest growth have been in some terrible, terrible times, terrible circumstances. And again, whilst I wouldn't wish to go through those again, I kind of wish I had that intimacy all the time because it is incredible to experience the blessings of God, you know, in that way. Yeah. And Sammy, you shared something very, very similar a couple of weeks ago when you said, you know, you couldn't, you literally couldn't feel God. You had... Um, went through a severe depression and you couldn't feel God and yet you wrote down his promises. You wrote down the promises he has for you and in that moment you were some of the most intimate you have been with God. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the... Um, sorry, you go, Sam. I was going to say it's similar to a season of wilderness. You know, um, suffering is like a wilderness experience, a desert experience, um, which the Bible often uses to describe preparation and, and trials and... You know, the Israelites wandering through a wilderness for 40 years. Mm. Um, what was God doing in them? He was proving, testing, um, changing, transforming them. Um, the question is, how was, how was God doing that? He actually provided food for them every day. And yeah. they had to wake That's up good. every morning and God said, I've provided food for you. And it was called manna. And God would, you know, drop it from the heavens. And it was the only food available at that time. And he didn't allow them to store it up to the next day. It would go rotten. So they had to come out again. And you think, what is God teaching us in these seasons of wilderness and suffering and grief? Um, we're going to wake up every single day and we're going to have eaten 
all of the encouragement that God gave us yesterday. There really is never enough left for the next day. Whenever really wake up and go, huh, you know, yesterday I got enough encouragement and um, peace to last me for today. It's interesting that in a season of grief, every single day you wake up hungry for peace. And God mm. is actually teaching you to come to Him for a fresh revelation of His goodness and His presence. Um, he's actually teaching you that He is the only food that satisfies your soul. Like when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of life and suddenly the normal things like Netflix and even um, sex doesn't cut it because the pain is so bad, God is going, hey, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is the only thing that can satisfy your soul. And I'm teaching you that every single time you seek me out, I will be there for you and I will be enough to satisfy you. And the interesting thing is, when you end the season, when you walk out of the wilderness into the quote-unquote promised land on the other side, you remember the faithfulness of God in that season. You remember His consistency. And every single time you or someone that you know goes through a season of suffering, you can say with absolute assurance, hey, let me tell you something. God is dependable and every single thing that he says about himself in the Bible is actually true. Don't give up because he isn't giving up on you. Yeah. And that's saying that Psalm 77 is such so strong on remembering what God has done in the past. Mm, yeah. When we remember what God has done in the past, it allows us to live in the present and look forward to the future. And that's what we, you guys and all of us need to remember in seasons of grief, that God is good. He loves you. He does work for your good. But sometimes we just need to remember that. Mm. Sometimes we need to go to the Lord's Prayer and say, give us our daily mm. bread, that daily bread of encouragement. And so... Thank you so much, both Sam and and Matt, especially for sharing uh, your story with us. It's been I feel I, I really feel privileged to be able to sit in the same room and, and and chat about that. And you sharing such wisdom out of such grief is something I really um, yeah appreciate and look up to. So thank you so much for for sharing that, Maddie. And I just want to finish on this: that no amount of grief or pain in this life can ever take the eternal promise away. Nothing that you, that you can go through in this life can ever take the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. So why don't you lean into that today? Lean into the promises of God, what He's done in your past, and there you will find intimacy. There you will find the love and the peace that God offers. So thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you check out the studies and the devotion that you can and you can find the link here on the on the podcast. And and remember that renewal in our generation must start with the renewal of our hearts.